0: Here we go. It's a Wednesday afternoon. Happy hump day, everybody. Rain clouds are finally starting to roll in. Where have you been, rain clouds? I mean, seriously. I know you're right now in the east side of town, but can you please roll into the far west and just. Water the heck out of my lawn, please. I mean, is it asking too much? And while you're at it, dump some water in the pool because Lord knows I've been having to use the hose the last uh, couple of weeks and more than I want to. And it really would be nice if we had a little extra rain. I mean, I don't know, Adrian. Is it, am I asking too much here on Sports Talk to 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 you know hope that the um, that that the rain gods uh, bless us today with some extra water and 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 take care of things so we don't have to rely so much on. Uh, sprinklers
1: yeah i'm with you on this steve i don't think you're asking too much whatsoever because it's been a dry year just uh you know in total here and it's been so hot lately like i mean we just need any kind of precip that we can get um i'm tired of watering i'm tired of throwing on the the sprinklers and Mm. all that kind of stuff i'm ready for i'm ready for just a downpour here on the west side so i can also uh take advantage of
0: that well you're now a homeowner that's right congratulations by the way it's your first home it's a big deal this is a big deal.
1: Big deal. I, I'm, I'm happy about it.
0: By the way, um, my first home, let me think for a second. I, th- I believe I bought my first home when I was either 32 or 33. You are way ahead of the curve right now, and I'm really proud of you for that because you're mid-20s and you're already a homeowner. I wish I, s- I bought my first house when I was in my mid-20s. I should have bought my first house when I was in my mid-20s, but I was in apartments, radios. It was part of my radio station, compensation back in those days. You know, I I had it good. I'm not going to lie to you. I had it good in the late 90s. It was beautiful. Took over for Teich. They put me up at um, Kalinas del Sol, and uh, and, and life was good. You know, those are the days, man. But now life is great. Um, You know, I'm a homeowner have a wife, a 10-year-old. Good stuff, man. I'm I'm happy, so no complaints on my end. But I am really proud of you that you got into uh, buying a house, even though you picked the craziest time ever to buy. But at least you got in uh, here uh, in your mid twenties. Good for you. Good start. Good start.
1: I appreciate that. It took three months of battling. Um, you know, I'm I'm happy that we got it done. But we got it. We got it yes. done about uh, about a month and a half ago. Today dropped off the first mortgage. So nice. th- that's when you know it's kind of real, right, Steve? You you pay the mortgage. You feel you feel like it's actually. Your home or you're actually investing in your own Home so yeah now now I just got to Mow the lawn that's the next thing
0: well that's okay You'll get get that done that's that's Okay and then you get married the end of the year You get to like what live in sin for six months before the marriage? Is that the way it works? Pretty no, much. No,
1: no, we are living not with sin right now. She's not living at the house. Are you serious? Yeah, that's right. Oh, I
0: thought you guys were already living together.
1: So, so I'm the I'm living like it's a hotel, Steve. Oh I've got my one, goodness! I've got one little room that I have every all my belongings in, and then I've got the kitchen as basic as possible. I cannot decorate. I cannot. You know, I, we've got Hang some on. furniture. We've got some furniture here and there. Hang on, but uh, but but no, yeah. Yeah, you mean to tell going. me
0: that if I come home to your house tonight after the show, yeah. and I stop by, I am not going to see a closet filled with her stuff?
1: No, you won't see that. I promise. Really? Yeah, yeah. You'll, you'll maybe see- there'll
0: be like a little, like some stuff because she adds, you know. Come on, I mean, you know, at least a little bit, right?
1: Yeah. So, like, she's got one room that's honestly kind of like her storage room. So she just leaves all her stuff in that room. And then, uh, yeah, it's it's just pretty much my stuff.
0: Look at you! All right, good for you! Congratulations!
1: I appreciate it. Thank
0: you. See, I, I wasn't sure if you were living in sin. All right, at least you're
1: not. <laughs> yeah, no, we're not. We're, we're still good. All right,
0: good for you. Good for you. End of the year, that's, I that's... get
1: I get asked this all the time, by the way. So you're not the first. one. Oh, I get really? This all the time. This is like the number one question I, I get asked. Always. Yeah. Always. Does
0: she get asked too? The same thing? Yeah,
1: she gets asked the same thing. Puts you in
0: a weird spot, kind of awkward.
1: Yeah, I think it, yeah. it's just kind of it, it's weird for those who are not like uh you know. Catholic or or don't understand, but yeah, I understand. I I get it from all angles.
0: Uh, somebody uh, you know Jewish. I, I wasn't worried about that uh, at all. In fact, that was never even on my concern. I, I I still can't believe that you know that that's a thing and people are like you know you can't move in until you're married. I'm like
1: wow, that's I know
0: man. It just. What can I tell you? It's 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 2022, but uh, it's okay. Listen, the fact you're doing it the right way, good for you. I'm. Pro- Do you have a priest picked out for your uh, for your wedding? Yeah,
1: we've got a mass. We're Queen of Peace on the west side of town. Oh, I know that very there well. You know. I've been there. Yeah, you have. Uh, and so yeah, we'll. we'll uh, I like that.
0: I like Queen of Peace.
1: Yeah, it's right, right, uh, close to everything on the west side. It's where I I, I started. Um, you know, when I was young uh, in catechism and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. All right. Confirmed there as well. So, Were yeah. you really? Yes. You're yes, right. I was.
0: Were you an altar boy over there?
1: No, I was not. I'm right. an altar boy. All right. So just, I taught a little catechism, did a little uh, vacation Bible school in summers as well.
0: Good for you. That's that. Hey, listen, I was president of the junior congregation, so I can I can relate to that. I know what it's all about, uh, trying to help out with the youngsters out there. It's, it's fine. It's good stuff.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. a lot of fun. I, I'm with you on that. All
0: right. Nice. Um, last night, again, I mean, how many times— Do we need the National League to win a stupid all-star game and they they come up empty? I mean, even Dodger Stadium I had a 2-0 lead. They were looking good right early on. And then all of a sudden, who starts getting shelled? The Dodger. Tony Gonsolin comes in. Guy's got like a 1.5 ERA this year. He's been amazing. And what happens? Well, I'll tell you what happens. Uh, Stanton and uh, Buxton happened. They both tattooed him with moonshots and before you knew it, it was 3-2-AL and that was it. By the way, that was the end of the scoring. Just like that. Game over. And I mean, I watched I watched six or seven innings of no-run baseball and thought to myself, oh, this stinks. You know, you're supposed to have these all-star baseballs, supposed to be juiced a little bit. Let's get some extra runs going. Let's get some offense. You know what? Here's the problem. When you throw and three miles an hour, it's tough sometimes to hit the baseball. And that's part of the issue. You got all of these relievers coming in who all throw triple digits and they're coming in for one inning, so you're getting max effort and it's hard to hit these guys because unless they're off and their control's off, um, you're not going to make much contact because what's the reality of the situation? You You get five or six relievers who all throw in the high 90s to low 100s and they're coming in for their one inning of work, they're going to blow you away. Did you notice we didn't even have that many starters yesterday? It was like a whole bullpen game.
1: Yeah, it was so weird. Like, you know, Nestor Cortez comes in, and then then I blink, and then he's gone. Like, he's in for two strikeouts right away, and he's gone. Like, you're you're exactly right, because it was a pitching fest yesterday. I thought – I was actually, like, excited kind of in the middle of the eighth because I kind of thought to myself – wait a second, we can actually get a tie game in this All-Star game. We can actually get the home run derby times two That's right. uh, and do kind of a tiebreaker in that situation. I thought the National All-Stars were going to come back in the ninth inning, but no, they did just could not come back. So it, it, just, it, it kind of felt a little underwhelming at the end because I, I was just rooting so hard for that tie.
0: My favorite player yesterday is Jose Trevino. That guy is so cool. First off, he was mic'd up behind the plate, and then he's kept the mic on when he was batting, got his first hit. He wanted the baseball, kept his mic while he was on the base pass, didn't take it off. I'm like, man. That dude's amazing. So I really, I was happy for him. You know, Jose Trevino is hitting 250 with seven home runs, yet he's an all star because he's a Yankee. And, you know, 29 year old came from the Rangers this uh, back in April. But the one thing I will say about the all star game. I do like it when they're micing guys. I think that's a really cool feature. Um, it, I've never really seen the battery, the home plate, the, you know, the catcher and the pitcher mic together. I thought that was really cool and, uh, and and just enjoyed that whole aspect of it. It was weird not seeing Joe Buck call the game. I'll be honest with you. That's something that takes a little uh, getting used to. But ultimately, I thought that you know it was, uh, it was good. Listen, it's so different than watching the Pro Bowl and the NBA All Star Game and the NHL All Star Game, because you had a three-two game yesterday, where all the runs were scored uh, by the fourth inning. Uh, let's be honest: nobody plays defense in the NBA, uh, nobody plays defense in the NHL, and you might as well not even tackle in the pro in the, in the Pro Bowl. So, this is still the most authentic. Game compared to a regular season game you're going to find anywhere. And the fact that now you've got throwing relievers going in, pitching after each other in both leagues, it makes it so difficult to score when you get the starters out.
1: Yeah, it really does. And and you get the best of the best going up against each other and that really you know shows all of it. Uh I even looked at so going to back to your mic'd up thing, Steve, that was the that was my favorite part about last night. The there were some highlights, you know, Shohei Ohtani calling his shot. I love that. I mean Trevino. He I, I loved when he asked for his ball back. Like you know, that was yeah. a really cool part too. And then my one of my favorite parts is we all know Liam Hendricks and how animated he is at times. And when he yells at the young rookie and Julio Rodriguez to not throw the ball into the stands, that was hilarious. I, those were some highlights. Um, I want oh, yeah. them to continue to do this. And then, hey, you know, for a Sunday night baseball broadcast for a game, is it too much to ask for some players to be mic'd up? I know they do that mm-hmm. in, in between innings sometimes or during uh, defensive parts and times, but I think this brings a lot of people to the game of baseball and makes it a lot more exciting.
0: It makes it more fun. That's for sure. Because you hear hear these guys talk and you kind of feel like you're on the field with them. So that that is true. By the way, American League threw six starting pitchers through the first six innings. And then after that, they had five relievers combined for the final three innings. Okay. Uh, National League, five starting pitchers pitched the first five innings. And then they went with four relief pitchers the next four innings. So Ultimately, nobody threw more than an inning yesterday. And, um, you know, you look at the the batters. um, Really, Stanton, you know, he had the two-run home run. That gave him the MVP award. Uh, it was it was tough. It was tough to find an MVP. It's either Stanton or Buxton because those are the two guys that delivered. Although, man, oh, man, Paul Goldschmidt destroyed that baseball in the first inning. He just launched that sucker uh, off uh, McClanahan, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, that one goes off to center. It was I think it was like a changeup pitch, Steve, so he, he caught that one perfectly. I really liked what he did. Uh, Stanton, real quick, I mean, talking about monster hit home runs, 470, uh, 457 feet for his home run that drove in two runs. So, wow. really, really Really nice day
0: for No, him. that's a terrific day. That's exactly right. Terrific day. Here's the uh here's the Hendrix play that Adrian was talking about.
2: Right, the center field. Julio's yes! oh, got it. Come
0: on! There you go, Liam.
2: Don't throw the ball away. Julio! Oh, Julio! Oh, <laughs> Give me the ball! Give me the ball! <laughs> I need to keep it! <laughs>
0: that's pretty good. <laughs> nice. That's pretty good. So, anyway, there's your uh, all star moment with Liam Hendricks uh, and uh, and Julio Rodriguez. Who, by the way, Julio Rodriguez uh, went in and played uh, just about uh, the. It felt like he played the entire game. So he played. He only had, he came in for Buxton, but um, you know, and didn't get a hit. There, were, there weren't a ton of hits in this game, by the way. Eight for the American League, five for the National League. Uh, this is the closest thing to a regular season game. I said it before. I'll say it again. It really is. But that is one of the reasons why I've always liked the Major League Baseball All-Star Game over every other All-Star Game in professional sports. Because this is the closest thing, Adrian, to mimic the real thing.
1: Yeah, and this was L.A. This was uh, kind of felt like a little more exciting this year. There's a lot of a lot of great storylines across baseball. So, I don't know. This year's All-Star Game really caught me. I, I really enjoyed this whole weekend, whether it was the Juan Soto winning the home run derby or yesterday the AL edging it out. And, and all the different things that they did with the broadcast. I, I thought it was a nice all-star week for uh, Major League Baseball.
0: I did, too. All right. Uh, Coming up on the show today, Jay Jaffe is going to talk baseball and beer with us next. Jeff Erickson in the 5 o'clock hour. And then we're going to talk uh, very much uh, to uh, a special guest at 6, Jeff Fletcher, the author of a new book on Shohei Otani. So that's going to be coming up at 6 o'clock. Also, uh, tweets coming into the show. Already Adrian getting congratulations from listeners on buying a home. That is phenomenal. So we'll read some of those tweets. And... A bit of a strange, strange situation involving the locomotive right now. I, I got to get to this sometime today because I'll be honest with you, folks. Uh, I heard this story, and, and I still don't understand it. But it it for me, at least, you know, I, I can't make a, a lot of sense out of this. And I'll explain that during the program as well today. So it's going to be a fun one, a lot in store for you. Uh, but before we get to Jay Jaffe... Let's go to Charlie 1. Let's find out what's happening around the streets and highways of El Paso right now in the Metroplex, Charlie, with our first traffic update of the afternoon. So we continue right now with our main man, Jay Jaffe. Covers uh, Major League Baseball for Fangraphs, Fangraphs.com. Also check out his work. Uh, he tweets it out all the time. Uh, you follow him on Twitter, Jay underscore Jaffe. He'll also review a beer for us at the end of the segment today. Uh, It is a non-baseball Wednesday, day after the All-Star game. It's a tradition for us, Jay, to have you on this day because you're on every Wednesday, so this should be no different. Uh, Before we get to some of your recent stories up on the website, uh, reaction to the game yesterday and the 3-2 win by the American League. As a National League fan, it is so depressing to know that it is now nine straight, and I wonder if I will ever see another National League win in my lifetime.
3: (laughs) You know, it's it's funny. It was so lopsided. in favor of the National League when you and I were growing up. At one point, it was, I think, 37 to 30, uh, 37 to 20. Uh, the National League had the advantage, and now it's something like 47 to 42. Wow. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it's swung the other direction so dramatically. And, and uh, um, you know, this was a close game. It was an entertaining game. All the scoring uh, happened pretty early. Um, when you've got... Those pitchers throwing an inning at a time and they can uh, empty the tank, yeah. uh, it's a lot harder for hitters. And, and uh, uh, I think we saw that. And, uh, you know, short sequence offense is uh, uh, working pretty well for the, uh, uh, for the American League with those two big home runs uh, by Stanton and uh, Buxton there. Um, I liked the, uh, the microphones. I didn't get the luxury of, of paying this close attention to the game. Uh, as I would have liked, because I was also working at the time. Um, but I thought it was, you know, as all-star games go, it was one of the more entertaining ones, even if we didn't get the uh, the home run derby to decide a potential
0: tie. Came close, uh, three-two games. So you know the score was that way from the fourth inning on. And you're right yeah. about these guys throwing. I mean, it was interesting when I broke it down, and I said earlier, you know, the, the American League uh, through starting pitchers for the first six innings, and then the final three, they combined five pitchers to get through the final three innings. Where the National League went uh, five star, five innings with starting pitchers, four innings with relievers. Here's the thing, Jay: most starters go mid to upper nineties or better. Relievers now, I mean, you're watching. Helsley yesterday of St. Louis, he's bringing oh it at 103. It's like it's insane <laughs> how hard he throws.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, velocity is, isn't isn't the only thing, but yes, uh, it's hard. It's still not easy to hit 103. Guys can time it, but uh, when you're getting a look at this guy because you haven't seen him before, it's a different matter than if you're playing in the NL Central and you get a look at this guy uh, a couple times
0: a month. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, and yet we did see some home runs. Goldie went yard uh, early for the National League. And then you mentioned Stanton and Buxton. Uh, You know, Byron Buxton just teed off, and so did Stanton. Those balls were just drilled. And again, the one thing I will say this, you know, and I told this before we brought you on, and that is the all-star game is still of all of the all-star, uh, professional sports exhibitions, the closest thing to a real game. I mean, you know, you, there's no, you know, in, in basketball, there's no defense hockey, same thing football. They don't tackle at least in baseball. It resembles the kind of game you would normally pay to watch every, every, uh, you know, every day.
3: Yeah. I mean, I don't think these guys want to play extra innings, which is why we've got the, the, uh, uh home run derby uh uh tiebreaker rule. But um those guys do those guys do want to win. They're competitive, you know, they're competitive. They're not in incredible danger of getting hurt the way, you know, in, in a tackle football game you might be. Um they're they they do want to flash the leather. I mean we saw them shifting uh on the defense last night and so um yeah it's 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 played like a normal game. I mean, you know, you have the luxury of Of not worrying about um you know burning through your pitching staff and and say, or say you know saving somebody for tomorrow I mean you know going in which which pitchers are available and which are off limits to you
0: That's right. uh,
3: and for the most part the off limits ones have already been uh moved off the roster in favors, favor of guys who can who who you know who can pitch but uh um yeah, it, was, it it it's uh, it plays out like a regular game.
0: No doubt about it. Um meanwhile, it was what uh, Joe Davis yesterday calling the game for Fox, right? Yep. What do you think 34 years of age takes over on the national stage for uh, Joe Buck, how do you think Davis did?
3: Look, I've been listening to Joe Davis since he took over for Vince Scully in 2017. I think that the Dodger the Dodger fans are really lucky to have him uh and, you know, to see him you know moving to the national stage and he's you know he's been doing more and more national games he did some postseason games last year. I think the guy's great. I think he is um, you know he is he is going to be uh, you know a, a titan of this industry um, if that's what he wants. I know he does he does some football as well and i don't know what his long term hopes and dreams are, but uh, but I do think that uh, um, he has a he has a style that I think where wears very well and Yep. I know Dodger fans think very highly of him, and 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 I think uh, national audiences probably have taken to him uh, pretty well too.
0: Jay Jaffe joining us here from Fangraphs as we continue on Sports Talk. Uh, another big storyline uh, in this All Star break was uh, Juan Soto, and what's going to you know where is he going to go? Uh, Jay, I am fascinated by this because – not just because of the haul that Washington's going to get where Juan goes. And by the way, it's funny. Chris uh, Carillo just messaged on Facebook – as I'm bringing it up, like within seconds, where is Juan Soto going? Like he could read my mind, and he knew that's what he wants to know. That's what I want to know, Jay. There's some teams that are really lined up to make a blockbuster package. Padres are one of them, Mets, Yankees, Mariners. There's a ton of teams that could throw the kitchen sink out at Washington. What do you think's going to happen when it's all said and done?
3: Man, I if I knew, I would take it to Vegas. Um, I would, I, you know, I think that... The Yankees makes some sense, and although that makes a lot, that would probably close the door on um, on an Aaron Judge return, which which might not be uh, something that, that Yankee fans relish. Um, I think that uh, um, you know that there there certainly uh, it makes a lot of sense for him to wind up on the Mets, but I, it's tough to envision an intra division trade like that um, because of the rivalry the Padres man they're 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 fearless when it comes to when it comes to transactions i mean they've already got two 300 million dollar guys on the roster i'd sure. have to think i'd have to think that uh, um, maybe maybe tatis could be involved in that trade um if they're doing it but nah. uh, i
0: Look, don't know he's it's, under it's, control it's, for a couple of years they could afford to keep him under the payroll for the next few it, and then it, then it, go from it, there it,
3: it's po- it's possible, but man, it's it's tough to maneuver all those big salaries, especially if you're not, uh, um, you know, if, if you're. Uh, I mean, really, for anybody now with the luxury, the new competitive balance tax rules. Um, you know, it's it'll, it'll be you know the, the um, it'll be interesting to see because the the teams that have the best farm systems don't always line up with the teams that have the uh, long term ability to 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 pay a guy. Five hundred million dollars, or four hundred fifty million dollars, or whatever it's going to take uh, to get a commitment. And I don't think the problem with the uh, Nationals' offer was that it was a four, only four hundred forty million dollars. I think it was the way that they spread it out over fifteen years, knocking down the uh, the um, uh, the annual value such that it just wasn't competitive with the Mike Trout's of the uh, you know, or, or and Max Scherzer's of of the sport. That's right. Um, you know so you could
0: you could essentially go three twenty for eight and give somebody a forty million dollar a year contract for those yeah. eight years and you know that's that's the whole thing is that uh, i i thought that the it wasn't the total dollar value that that really made you shake your head it was fifteen years and twenty nine million average is what like twelfth or thirteenth best in the game right now jay it's yeah. it's just it's not enough
3: yeah. It's it's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out and and I you know I'm I'm uh, I'll, I'll be interested to see how uh what Washington gets out of it there. Me too. They've uh they've, it's, it's it's amazing how that franchise is, you know, ha, has has fallen apart uh in the wake of the 2019 World Series win. I mean, nothing's gone right. The you know, the pitchers they had signed to the big deals, Strasburg and Corbin have fallen apart. Um Strasburg's barely even pitched uh, they had to trade Scherzer uh, and Trey Turner. Trey Turner's free agency is going to be interesting too. Um, and uh, um, you know, they're just they're they're going through the full rebuild, and and I guess it makes more sense if they can't uh, uh, if they can't lock up Soto to trade him now when they've when when he's still got uh, two plus years of control rather than waiting. Uh, and getting some kind of like Mookie Betts type return. That's right. Or, you know where you've got uh, maybe one or two keepers, but that's
0: it. Hey, uh, Steve Cohen spent one hundred forty-one million seven years ago on a statue. If that guy is dropping one hundred and fifty or forty-one million dollars on a statue, Jay, I think it's not a problem uh, shelling out another uh, three four hundred million to go get ten years of Juan Soto services.
3: Yeah, well, the, the, well you know the. The thing is, though, is, like I said, the, the Nationals aren't going to trade him within the division, and so you're waiting uh, till he reaches free agency. And you don't have a guarantee if you're not trading for him, you don't have a guarantee that he is going to reach free agency. Um,
0: How do you, you know, know the doesn't... Nationals aren't going to trade within the division? What if the Mets? The Mets have a, a ridiculous amount of prospects. What if they decide to overload them with Alvarez and Beatty and Vientos and start to throw all their top prospects you... at him left and right, and basically make it where Washington can't say no.
3: Could it happen? Yes, it certainly could happen. Um, baseball history tells us that the, that such intra-division trades uh, along these lines are are very rare. Now, I agree. Like you said, the co- Steve Cohen is the cra- is, is crazy enough that they might they might be able to pull it off. I get the sense that the ne- that the that for the Mets, Alvarez is untouchable um, because he's a catcher and and just good catching is just so hard to find. Um, and he's, you know, considered to be an elite prospect in that in that category. But we'll see. It's it'll be fascinating to watch it
0: play out. I can't wait. All right, more from Jay as we continue here on Sports Talk. First, though, let's go to Adrian and get this bottom of the hour Sports Center update. Adrian, thank you very much. You can find Jay Jaffe's work at Fangraphs.com. Follow him on Twitter at j underscore Jaffe as he joins us every Wednesday here on the show. A couple of articles to note up on uh, Fangraphs. The gate could be closing on future Hall of Fame-era committee inductees. That was posted today at Fangraphs yesterday, making tracks on the road to Cooperstown, who's boosted their Hall odds in 2022. I find this fascinating because you have taken a, a deep look at Position by position, player by player, and guys that uh, are, are off to a great start this year and really uh, helping their case. For example, Paul Goldschmidt in a monster year he's having, even though he's in his mid-30s right now. And then, you know, another great year for Freddie Freeman. It's, it's good stuff, Jay, because there are plenty of current players in the game right now that uh, are ticketed to Cooperstown when their careers uh, wind up.
3: Yeah, you know, look, There's at any given time, there's always going to be 20 or 30 guys who are going to make it to the Hall of Fame. I mean, history tells us even more than that once once the dust all settles. And, you know, in the nature of the, of the the stuff that I write, people ask me a lot, well, what do you think? Is you Freeman a future Hall of Famer? Is Joey Votto a future Hall of Famer? And I've done enough of these that I know that uh, people like to read this stuff. And with induction weekend coming up here, and I'm leaving on Saturday morning to – uh get up to Cooperstown myself have been been in the hall of fame mind even as the all-star break and the draft and and uh trade season have uh uh started to dominate the uh, the discussions here so i thought it would be good to squeeze some of that in and uh uh talk about these guys and paul Goldschmidt, in particular uh offered a very good window into, into the subject and uh the other thing that, that i wrote today is kind of uh, some mathematical modeling on on you know we're about to see six era committee uh uh... candidates uh, inducted and that's going to be a long time i think before we see something similar here um, the way that the hall has uh, once again rejiggered its format so i joined up with my colleague dan zimborski to do some uh... uh... what's called monte Carlo simulations which along the lines of what we do with our playoff odds to sort sort of show uh... the way the odds are stacked against such a cluster
0: now uh, that's tough too because as you mentioned uh, the way it it works um, you know, are there guys that you look at right now that you still believe from from yesteryear should be in the Hall, and uh, you're a little, you're you're more than a little concerned uh, just based on the way the model is trending?
3: Yes, yes, like Lou Whitaker, for example, uh, a guy that I included in the Cooperstown casebook, and and I know that uh, uh, there's still a lot of. Uh, fans out there that that believe he's been cruelly overlooked and so, you know he he finally got on a ballot uh uh for the for the uh twenty twenty uh modern baseball cycle and made a solid debut I figured that he would get closer attention the next time around and suddenly the mix is very different he's going to be going up uh, on a ballot that also includes Roger Clemens and barry bonds, and that wasn't expected before uh likewise Kurt Schilling and I tried to um you know, I'll, I'll write about that more at a, at a later date. But um, it's, his road got tougher.
0: Speaking of Hall of Fame, you received an amazing package from the Chicago White Sox uh, oh my God. Yeah. earlier this week. Tell our listeners about that, Jay.
3: So uh, I got a package from the White Sox Media Relations Department, and it was uh, uh, a few commemorative items uh, uh, regarding the election of Minnie Minoso, uh, including a, a little little uh, number nine this is presented to Jay Jaffe for your efforts in Minnie Minoso's 2022 Hall of Fame induction. Minoso was uh, the first Black Latino player in the major leagues. Orlando Cepeda called him uh, the Black, I mean the Latino Jackie Robinson. Uh, he was a pioneer, and his, you know, because of that, he was, you know, he was kept out, uh, kept out of the majors by the color line. He had to spend a couple extra years in the minor leagues. Um, His stats were eyeballed as just short of uh, the Hall of Fame, and it took forever for him to get in. He finally got in. I wrote about him in 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 the case book, and you know I don't do this stuff expecting to get uh, a pat on the back from 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 anyone. So for a team to reach out like that and thank me was just it meant the world. It was just a really cool thing.
0: He debuted about five years before Roberto Clemente, right?
3: Yeah, see, so he debuted in 1949, started playing regularly in 1951. He had to spend most of 49 and 50 uh, cuz he was with the Cleveland Indians and they, they had three black players uh and there was kind of an unofficial quota system in place. They didn't want the black players, you know, uh to be perceived as taking over a team. Even the Dodgers had to uh had, you know, had to had to slow things down with Jackie Robinson, then Roy Campanella in 1948, then Don newcomb in 1949. Um, when those guys were probably pretty ready. Um, So, yeah, I guess Clemente debuted, I believe, in 1955. So, yeah, Minnie was
0: are by then wow that's great stuff and i'm happy that's real classy from the white Sox to do that and just goes to show you right now jay that um you know major league teams understand your influence when it comes to the hall of fame and when you back a candidate especially one like minoso after all these years and he gets in there's a lot of people including ball clubs like the white Sox, that are very appreciative of your efforts
3: yeah it's, it's cool i mean i you know i'd heard I'd heard through, through you know through through channels that you know this this team was happy that that uh, uh, this player was was trending towards uh... Um, uh election it, with the, with the expos non-existent that didn't really happen for Tim Raines and, and Larry Walker but uh, um, you know it's, it's just the same but uh, the Mariners the Mariners and Edgar Martinez I think there was some gratitude there but not nothing. Nothing uh, through official channels. The way, the way that this happened, so that was really cool.
0: Let's wrap it up. Beer pick of the week. What are we talking about, Jay?
3: All right, this was a nice cold pilsner that I that I uh, bought uh, just because it sounded good. It's from a, a brewery called uh, Zero Gravity, which is, I believe, it's Vermont based. Um, hang on here. I think it's. I think it's Vermont based. Yeah, Vermont based. Uh, green and It's their Green State Lager. It's a Pilsner. Uh, weighs in uh, at, uh, I believe it's about 4.5% ABV. It's a German Pilsner with noble hops. Um, really, uh, four, sorry, 4.9%. There it is. And uh, just a crisp, easy-drinking lager. Uh, comes in a 16-ounce can. And, and I, I really am fond of this. I get it at one of my local restaurants. Uh, Craft emporiums, and uh, it's in the rotation.
0: Excellent. All right. Before I let you go, what do you have coming up on the website tomorrow? Uh,
3: if I can, if I can finish it, I'm going to look at the Mariners and, and Orioles surges uh, and how that's shaken up the playoff picture in the American League. Um, and then Friday, I start my replacement level killers series, which is focusing on uh, the holes on contending teams.
0: Good. Looking forward to that. In the meantime, as always, appreciate the time, and uh, we'll look forward to having you back on the show next Wednesday, Jay. All All
3: right. Sounds great, Steve. Thanks.
0: Jay Jaffe with his weekly hit here as we continue. 42 pass. More in a moment right after ABC 7 News. It's coming up. 600 ESPN El Paso. Here at five twenty, and then uh, Jeff Fletcher is going to join us at six o'clock to talk about his new book on uh, Shohei Ohtani. So uh, excited about today's uh, lock- blockbuster show! Going to be a good one, man. And uh, Fletcher, by the way, covers the Angels for the uh, SoCal News Group. So showtime! The inside story of Shohei Ohtani and the greatest baseball season ever played. It's available this month, and it's out right now, courtesy. Of uh, Jeff, who will be joining us on the show in just a little bit. I know uh, Richard from the East Side will be very interested in that uh, six o'clock interview and probably being the first to buy this book because uh, Richard's new favorite baseball player is Shohei Ohtani. Since uh, now that uh, Ichiro has retired, and will be on his way to Cooperstown. You know, Richard needs somebody else to root for, so he's rooting for Shohei. I love that.
1: Yeah, I'm real fired up about this book. Uh, I, I got to, uh, I don't even know if I'm supposed to say this, but I'm, I'm, I'm reading it already. And, How'd you do that? Uh, yeah, I know. Isn't that crazy? I found it on a crazy website or something like that. Is but, that what uh, you did, really? N- no, definitely not. Okay. Um, the, uh, the, the coolest thing that I like about this one is the recruiting battle to try Try to get Shohei Otani out of Japan, and that kind of battle—you uh, know, the Angels going up against others—I found that one so intriguing. Like oh, that yeah. whole, that whole, uh, the way that that all shaked up. So, yeah, having uh, Jeff Fletcher on later on in the show is going to be a lot of fun.
0: Whenever you get a player posted uh, from Japan, there's always a huge battle. But realizing um, that Otani is probably the greatest, like folk lore figure ever. Remember. Daisuke Matsuzaka, Hideki Matsui, uh, Ichiro. There's been great players in the past, but nobody could do a two-way uh, the way Shohei can, which is why he was considered so valuable because teams were thinking about pitching or hitting, or in this case, both for the Angels.
1: And not many were willing to let him do both. That's why, um, you know, he ended up with the Angels. So that's a real interesting part in this whole story. So I can't wait for the 6 o'clock hour.
0: So we'll do that. But when we return to begin our 5 o'clock hour, the latest surrounding uh, a bizarre few days for El Paso Locomotive FC. We'll explain next. The Sports Talk continues here on 600 ESPN El Paso. Here on Sports Talk... He's Adrian Produs, I'm Steve Kaplowitz. Coming up later this hour, Jeff Erickson, Rotowire.com. We'll talk a little fantasy sports with Jeff uh, coming up here in about 20 minutes from now. Six o'clock, Jeff Fletcher is going to join us. Brand new book on Shohei Otani. That's definitely something we'll look forward to in our six o'clock hour. But as we begin our, our uh, second of three today on the program, I, I have to wonder... What is going on right now behind the scenes with El Paso Locomotive FC? Now, uh just to be clear, um, we are not privy to the behind the scenes dealings with uh with locomotive FC. We have history with the team because Mark Lowry uh joined us pretty much from year one till last season on a regular basis throughout the season and off season talking uh, locomotive uh, FC soccer. Now we did have coach Hutch on a couple of times uh, earlier in the year. And uh, since then he's gone on to do now a regular coaches show uh, with Mondo, the monster Medina. So those two now team up on a regular basis and, And uh, in fact, uh, I believe that'll be happening uh, in about an hour or so from now with Monster. So um, Hutch and Mondo are doing that. And uh, as a result, we, uh, you know, you you only really report and talk on stuff you hear. But um, we found out today that um, Sebastian Velasquez would be leaving the club for the second time. Uh, in his career now he tweeted out 24 minutes ago the following this one is hard for me but this picture says it all I love this city I love the team I love the fans I love the people that I met and most importantly I love the past three years of my career here I'm going to miss you all thank you for everything El Paso and that comes from uh, Sebastian Velasquez now what's interesting to me was this they brought Sebastian in this season hoping to spark the team um you know he maybe hasn't had quite the impact that the club would have thought so at this point they're they're moving in another direction all right and 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 i understand that i do um the one that really puzzles me the one i can't figure out for the life of me is what happened with Locomotive FC, and Richie Ryan. Now, according to all reports, Ryan is no longer with the club. But everybody is tight-lipped on what happened. Now, this came out three weeks ago. So on June 30th, the Locomotive tweeted out this graphic of Richie along with the number 100, and the tweet said, Match 100, congratulations, Richie Ryan, on 100 regular season appearances in USL Championship. And a classy thing to do. And, you know, when they did that, um, you know, it, it seemed like things are fine. But then we heard earlier in the week, coming uh, thanks to the uh, Seriously Loco Soccer podcast, that. Things were on the outs with the club and Richie Ryan. And what they reported was that, you know, he was no longer with the team. And uh, Colin Deaver piggybacked on that, uh, the same thing, and said that it looks like they've both parted ways um, with the club. Rachel Phillips, who is now uh, doing sidelines. She's moved into sports at KVIA after Nate Ryan's departure, and she does sideline reporting for the locomotive games on CW. Uh, she confirmed yesterday that the playing group was told Richie Ryan is no longer with the club, but the club declined comment. Now, you got to understand something, folks. Okay, Ryan has been a part of Locomotive FC since day one. That was Mark Lowry's, I believe it's his first signing, if I'm not mistaken, the first player he ever brought on. And to me, you know, Ryan has kind of been the ambassador of the club. He was the one that Lowry credited for finding Diego Luna. And bringing him on board last year, which ultimately benefited uh, Mountain Star Sports uh, in a very handsome six-figure deal when his transfer uh, to um, uh, Salt Lake uh, went went uh, went became official. And Richie has also worked with their youngsters and been a part of of uh, the developmental squad, the kids. I mean. When I think of El Paso Locomotive FC, Richie Ryan is one of the first players I think about. And it's not because he's lighting up the scoreboard and the stat sheet game after game, but he's a vet. He's been through a lot. He's called El Paso his home. He's been involved in all facets of this particular organization and this club. And something happened over the last few weeks. Something, I don't know what happened. But all I can tell you is that Adrian, Richie Ryan, should be able to call his shots. He's earned that right now. This leaves a really bad taste in, in, in your mouth if you're a fan of the club because it just seems like they kicked this guy to the curb and I don't understand how that could happen in season. If you want to make a, a departure after the year is out and and move in another direction, that's fine. But how this goes on in the middle of July in a season in which they struggled out of the gate, caught fire, started playing terrific on the pitch, and you know had been up until this past weekend when they got beat four uh, nothing, um, had been terrific. Um, I, I just don't get this. I, I'm I'm at a loss. And again, I don't know the details. All I know is what we see. But to me, Richie Ryan is someone that's more than earned the uh, opportunity to be able to decide um, when he's ready to, to call it quits. And I feel like this was something that really he didn't have a lot of control over. Instead, was told you're gone and just doesn't seem right.
1: Real quick on Velasquez, just wanna just want to touch on this one on my end. Uh, this is somebody who's had two stints with El Paso. He was there with El Paso first in 2019. Then he uh, leaves for an MLS opportunity. Um, at, excuse me, the Miami FC opportunity that he had, and uh, and then he ke- comes back in 2021. So last season, um, and you know, Sebastian Velasquez was also a big crowd favorite. John Hutchinson did say that there is an idea for uh, Sebastian that he wants to go overseas and try something different. But we have no clue about the Richie Ryan situation. This is four years he's been with the club. Yep four years that he's had a chance to establish his family in the city of El Paso and you know that's tough this is this is a real life human being who lives here in El Paso and to cut in the reports from seriously Loco podcast talking about his salary being cut and all that kind of stuff this is this is just a, an ugly story right now and once this is all done it's going to be really really weird to see how this all shakes up and and once the details are finally released
0: it's a terrible look for the organization it really is. I mean, there's no way you can come out of this thinking, boy, you know what, I'm siding with the locomotive on this. I mean, this doesn't, doesn't, doesn't seem right. Because the guy's been involved in so many things um, with this club. Uh, even, you know, for, as far as not just the games themselves, but a lot of the other stuff like we talked about. Whether it's the academies, whether it's working with the kids. So many things. The, the guy's the, he's, he's your ambassador. And you don't treat somebody like that. You just don't, and then to not make any comment just seems it seems weak. The whole thing is weak, and I don't get it because once again, maybe it's be maybe it's just because um, you know if if Lowry was here, you know this would never happen. You right, just won't. right. It would never. Now, um, you know, I know Hutch from the interviews we've had. I have no idea this is Hutch's call or this goes above him. It very well could go above him, you know, and that's the thing. You're, you know, you go from the top down. I don't know. All I know is, is that it's a bad look um, and it's the middle of the season. They're just coming off a bad loss. You don't know what's going to happen the rest. And if somebody gets a salary just suddenly cut like that in the middle of the year, um, especially him, I'd be mad too. I really would. Oh yeah, I definitely would and somebody Steve who was uh, tr- who is expected
1: to transition at one point. I'm not maybe it's not with John Hutchinson, maybe it is with Mark Lowry at Indy Eleven, mm-hmm. but it's somebody who's supposed to transition from a player to a coach.
0: He was getting his license yeah, and to we, coach for that very particular reason.
1: And when you have somebody like that who is so valuable, who has established a nice pipeline for you, who is uh, doing so much external things for your own club, yep. treat him with respect. And and this This, from what we've seen on one side, is is not respectful whatsoever.
0: No, it's not. And the thing is this, okay, there is such a difference between Locomotive FC and the Chihuahuas. Number one, the Chihuahuas roster is dictated by the Padres. Everybody that comes up and comes down is specifically by the Padres. They call all the shots. They hire the staff, the coaching staff, the team, the everything is them. The only thing that the Chihuahuas do, the uh, game operations staff, Brad Taylor and company, is they run that product and run it better than anybody. So they know it's a well-oiled machine after eight or nine years. And when you come to the ballpark from the opening gates till the very end, you know that you know even though they can't control what's on the field, everything else around them is going to be terrific. You know that. Yeah locomotive is a totally different animal okay they control the salary cap they control the players they bring in who they want they can they they, every they are in control of everything okay everything and therefore um you know the buck stops there it really does and you know i don't know if richie is going to comment on this i don't know if the club is going to comment on this we don't know the truth all we know is what's what's transpired and, and what's gone down. It just isn't a good look. Maybe when details come out, we'll know more, we'll understand the situation. It'll make more sense. But for now, it's just uh, a story that makes you shake your head and wonder what the heck is going on over there.
1: My best-case scenario in this situation, I don't know about you, Steve, but in my head I'm thinking best-case scenario, he's released tonight or tomorrow officially so then he can move on and, and go with sign sign with some of the other clubs who are possibly interested in him right now and, and le- allow him to start making some money yeah. I, as far as all this uh, goes because he's got a family. Again, he's a human. He's somebody who lives here in El Paso. So I think in the best-case scenario for Richie Ryan, if you're a fan of him, he, he gets released tonight or tomorrow. The, I, the sooner I, the better. Maybe
0: he's already been released.
1: Sure, true. You know, Very we d- we
0: just don't know. And by the way, that's another thing. Um, you know, I talked about Mark Lowry earlier. He's lost his last I don't know five, six, seven in a row at Indianapolis. Uh, they've been they've been awful. So they're out of the playoff spot right now. He's got his own issues to figure out, and that is a team that's never really been able to get hot. It got hot for just a few uh, few short uh, few short weeks, but it's been a bad year at Indy for Mark. So you know, unlike Lowry, Hutch has won here. He's turned it around. Now the question is, will you know? We know that Richie was popular in the city. We know he's popular in the locker room. The question is, without him. What will happen to the club? That's going to be the most interesting thing to note here uh, over the next couple of weeks and months.
1: When, when a new coach comes in, you usually do see an overhaul of a roster, any sport, whatever it is, you yeah. usually see that. So maybe this is one of those uh, you know another step into that in overhauling the roster completely for uh, a John Hutchinson team.
0: Why not do it then during the off season before right. this year even starts? And if, and if you know you feel like it's a tough spot, Hey, uh, honor the contract, even if he's not going to play, and then move on after the season's over. Just don't do it the way it's happening right now in the middle of the year and then having stories leaked out that it possibly could have been trying to cut somebody's salary in July.
1: Yeah, this is distracting to the whole club. This is definitely news that is not good, you know, if you're probably in that club. And yeah, I'm so interested to see how this whole story plays out on both sides, both Velasquez and Richie Ryan.
0: I'm with you on that one. All right, when we come back. Jeff Erickson going to talk uh, a little bit with us from rotawire.com as he heads back from Vegas driving back home today. So we'll get uh, we'll get Jeff on his cell as we continue but first let's go to Charlie 1 and get this traffic update. 22 pass as we continue here on Sports Talk. Heading back to uh California from Vegas where he was out with some buddies drafting uh for his First football draft of the year is uh, Jeff Erickson from RotoWire joins us here on Sports Talk. How was Vegas, Jeff?
1: Hey,
2: Steve, it was great. Uh, it's like our 14th or 15th annual trip to Vegas, as RotoWire is a company. Every year during the All Star break, we go do a couple drafts, poker game, side. get ready for the fancy football season. It's a time for us to recharge our batteries and, in many cases, see each other for the first time in a while. We're all kind of spread out in a lot of cases. So, really fun time, and uh, now we're ready to go.
0: I noticed uh, that uh, you drafted uh, Jamar Chase on your team. Good to see that you got the obligatory Bengal as part of your uh, roster.
2: Yes, sir. Uh, Money where my mouth is, too. I want to take one of those top three receivers in almost any camp I can get. I I take Jonathan Taylor first, and after that, I think you can make a case against any other uh, running back, Uh, and I think those top three receivers are super safe, so any bit of any share of the cup, Jefferson and Chase, Chase that I can get, I'm taking.
0: I, I noticed that you were very, very top-heavy receiver, um, and I don't think you drafted a quarterback to like your seventh or eighth pick. Kind of an interesting strategy, if you ask me.
2: Yeah, um, I, I, I did Josh Allen in the fourth, but I didn't take a running back into the fifth and Dobbins. Okay, and you know I, the thing is, running backs are so variable that they're they're so. Uh, They're injury-prone. Their performance uh, varies from year to year. Uh, And you want to get, I I think, meanwhile, there's a finite number of blue-chip receivers. You want to be getting that steady production there. Um, I I don't often get the early quarterback. That was something different this time I did. uh, But uh, it's also fun to try out that method.
0: By the way, when do you believe that the fantasy shift has changed in terms of strategy? Because so many people load up on running backs early. They like to grab them in their first pick, their second pick, or their third pick. You sure. said it took you to your fourth pick to get a running back. Do you believe that more and more people are going to look at receivers over running backs now, especially in PPR leagues?
2: You know, it's cyclical. Um, the, the, the thing that I did, it wasn't quite zero running back, but that's, the, the, that's what the plan is called. Sometimes if you get one in the first round and then wait for your second for a long time, it's called hero running back. But um, it's something that was popular popularized maybe six or seven years ago. Years ago, uh, uh, Sean Siegel, uh, uh, the guy that uh, popularized that term and that strategy, it worked pretty well for him. And then there's a the stretch where it didn't quite work. I still think most people are still – Loading up on running backs early, and I still see it. I understand the method. I just, I, I, I felt more comfortable. I thought there was, especially I picked eighth in this draft, at where he did in Vegas, and I thought there was value in chasing eight, so I went that route. Um, I, I think had had all the top three receivers been gone, I probably would have taken a running back myself in the first round.
0: Adrian, listen to the first three picks for Jeff Erickson: Jamar Chase, Ceedee Lamb, and DJ Moore.
1: I love it. I love it, Jeff. And uh, you know I, I would probably on my end since i'm a since I'm a Rams guy, I'd probably go Cooper cup at, at some point there early on if i had a if I had my early fantasy draft, but uh yeah, I'm with you. I think for all those running backs that you listed and, and that you could kind of look after Jonathan Taylor, there's a lot of arguments against those.
2: yeah, uh, and especially look at like Christian McCaffrey's off in the second running back taken. Well, he's been hurt a bunch of the last two years. Dalvin Cook has missed three like three to four games each of the last couple of years. Uh, You know, Austin Eckler said he doesn't want to have 200 plus carries this year. Najee Harris says he's going to play fewer downs this year. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Harris is a a volume player. Uh, You can always, you know, there's always reasons to make uh, arguments for and against these guys. Joe Mixon is a pretty safe guy at the end of the first round. I could, I could see going that route. Uh, But I think, for me, there's a hard cutoff with those top three receivers. I think they're as safe as you can get.
0: You also only went with one quarterback. Most of your peers went with two. Tell me about the strategy to only go with Josh Allen.
2: Well, it's Josh Allen. I'm never going to use another quarterback except for the one bye week for him.
0: That's true. Uh,
2: and if I if I if I do, well, fine. Then I'll, then I'll have to scramble anyhow. So I'd rather take one more dart throw on a running back or receiver uh, and find out if uh, you know because we're all going to be trying to pick up those guys later on because you're always needing more running backs and receivers. So why not take an earlier one in the draft, especially because I took an early quarterback. I had the well, opportunity cost of a fourth round running back, you know, I couldn't take. So I, 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 in that case, you have to go that route. So
0: I'm looking at one of your, uh, one of your colleagues, he drafted Justin Herbert in the fourth round, three picks before you took Allen. And then three rounds later, he takes Lamar Jackson, at quarterback.
2: He even said, I'm not letting anybody else get Jackson in the seventh you're going to have to trade for. Him. Um, that was an interesting strategy. Uh, I wouldn't do that to pick a player just to trade him. I would instead prefer to get extra value because seventh-round player is still an important player. Uh, that said, yeah, Jackson fell a little bit, so maybe that was the whole point.
0: I understand that. And by the way, uh, are you happy with your running game? You've got Dobbins, along with Sanders, Gibson, and and Harris. So, you, are you happy? And then and then you went a little deeper. You've got, I think, you ended up with um with like six running backs in this one, and you have um five receivers. So, um, do you feel good about all of your positions right now?
2: I do actually. I mean, I four of my five receivers. I'm- you know, here's the thing. I'm planning on starting receiver in the flex spot almost all the time. It's a full point PPR league. We start three receivers anyhow. So, most weeks, I'm going to start four of those receivers because I drafted them so early. Uh, and then I'm going to try to mix and match with the running backs. You hope that you catch lightning in the bottle, that one of them becomes this year's James Connor, another one becomes, you know, our last year's James Connor, or last year's Leonard Fournette. And then then you get yourself a guy that, that you can start on a regular basis. And we always see during the season, what gets picked up the most? Running back. Uh Because injuries happen. Opportunities happen. So that's where I'm going to be uh, very aggressive on the waiver wire as well. It's obviously, me being able to find those startable running backs is going to be huge.
0: This was uh, not expected, folks. The first segment, a full analysis of Jeff's draft, uh, along with peers and strategies and justifications. Uh, last question. I really like that fantasy football draft board. Where'd you get it?
2: Um, it, we took, we did our draft. We stayed at the circus, uh, uh, hotel and sports book on downtown Vegas. And they have a sister hotel called the D and they're promoting having fantasy football drafts there. So they provided the draft boards for us.
0: Nice. That's from the D that's a sweet yeah. looking draft board, Jeff. I like it.
2: Yeah. And by the way, they, you know, you got to check out circa during the fo- uh, football season, crazy big sports book. Even the pool, the pool is massive and it's always got sports on they really cater to that crowd. The owner of the, the uh, circus, Derek Stevens, came down and talked to us, thanked us for having us there. That, you know, said, Tell your friends, go have your drafts at, at our properties. We want you to come have our drafts. It's the first time I've seen like, a casino actively like, court fantasy football drafts. Hmm. Such a smart thing to do. It's such a perfect tie in. Uh,
0: by the way, uh, what's the uh, Thai restaurant you recommend that you took a picture of a couple of days ago with you and your buddies? Oh, yeah,
2: Lotus of Siam. Lotus of Siam is the best Thai food restaurant ever. We go there almost every time. So,
0: where, um, where is Lotus yeah, of Siam it, it, located?
2: It's on Tropicana, uh, just a little bit east of the Strip. Okay. But, uh, any, any cab driver worth their salt will get you there, no problem. And uh, fantastic, fantastic
0: when we come back, we'll transition from uh, Lotus of Siam and fantasy football to baseball with uh, Jeff Erickson right after Adrian brought us in this bottom of the hour Sports Center update. Adrian, thank you very much. We're back right now with Jeff Erickson from Rotawire.com, who's heading home from Vegas where he spent the last couple days. You just heard it. By the way, how far are you from the um, Erickson house right now? How, how many hours?
2: We're about five minutes, actually. We're almost home.
0: Nice. Good job. How, how long is the drive?
2: Uh, well, we took a couple of short stops, so about just short of four hours. Not bad. Not bad at all. I
0: love it. All right, Jeff. No,
2: it's not too bad.
0: Um, so with all the Juan Soto trade talk, how about the story that yesterday during the All-Star game, Joe Musgrove told Wilson Contreras last night, quote, this might not be the last time we do this. Speculating a possible trade from Contreras uh, from the Cubs to the Padres, and the rumor right now is that Jorge Alfaro would likely be dealt if the Padres uh, acquire Contreras.
2: Yeah, it's no secret that Contreras is on the trade block. He's The Cubs are dreadful, almost as bad as my red. Um, they've traded away all the other mainstays uh, from uh, that, that that World Series team, so Contreras is the last to go. Uh, so no big surprise there. And, yes, the Padres are looking to upgrade their offense. So that makes it it's – a, it's a perfect fit. So I can see it. I,
0: I, players pay attention to the
2: river mill, that's for sure.
0: I wonder how big the return would be if you're the Cubs for a guy like Contreras.
2: Um, I it'd probably be decent sized. Uh, it's, it's a decent size. I think though, I mean, you get the expiring contract problem. So, you know, it's not like Juan Soto where you're going to have him forever. Um, by the way, the Padres are also in on Soto. Uh, so that's another thing. I don't know if it's going to happen, but they're definitely going to make their best effort.
0: I agree with that. If you had to give me a handicap to teams that you think right now have the best shot at Juan Soto, who would you say?
2: Um... Yankees, Dodgers, Padres, probably the top three. Um, They, they, oh, Mets too.
0: Yeah, I was going to say. Forgot
2: about the Mets. In fact, Mets I put at the top because they would not. I mean, Steve Cohen doesn't care about your luxury tax at all. Um, It might be from the competitive balance standpoint of losing picks, but even that, uh, I don't think he cares. And in fact, that's a lot what this lockout was all about. It was about you know the twenty six owners. Against the four owners that wanted to spend a ton, you know, and uh, you know, and Cohen being the biggest one, and there's four owners that didn't eat, that voted against Cohen when it came to time to ratify the sale.
0: That's true, and I'm with you on that one. I, I was I was arguing with Jay Jaffe last hour. He said uh, they won't trade him to a division rival. I said, yes, they will if that division rival has the kind of assets they're looking for, and the Mets are willing to give it up.
2: Well, yeah, I mean the division rival argument, you know, it it's there, it exists. You don't often see it overcome, but every once in a while you do. I mean, yeah, I think they'd there'd be a, a division rival tax, if you will, if they had to go that route. Um, but if they're offering the best, well, I mean, you got to take the best, right? I
0: would agree. By the
2: way, you know, let's be clear too. Uh, with, with the with the nets, this whole like, oh, you wouldn't take our four hundred twenty million dollar offer. They clearly floated that. There's clearly some misperceptions about it. It was only the 20th highest average annual value contract offered. Uh, there's a lot. There is deferred money. Remember the Bryce Harper saga. Um, that that was uh, the Bryce Harper saga. That, that, that there is a lot of deferred money in that. To the point, like 75 years down the road, when you'd probably be dead. Any, anyway. I mean, why why would you know? It, it's one of those. Yes, we tried our best. We offered it, um, and. Yeah, it, you know, it's clearly that they, you know they want to have that covered before they actually pulled the trigger on the trade.
0: Sounds to me like a, a Bobby Bonilla deal all over again.
2: Um, yes, but you know, and not not yet. It is, but it's also, you know, it's worth less when you spend, extend it out like that too. It's that's not true. really what they, you know, and that's that's the whole point. So now they can say, hey, we tried, but he wouldn't. He's, a, he's greedy and wouldn't take our offer. You know, that's the sort of. You know, the, 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 how they're trying to spin it. And, of course, a lot of people buy it. You know, I'd play for this. Yeah, yeah but you stink. You can't. No one wants you to play for anything. Um, it, you always are trying to go for that uh, lowest common
0: denominator of a reaction there. Second half right around the corner starts tomorrow. Who are you most excited about from a fantasy baseball perspective right now?
2: Uh, I can't wait to see DeGrom come back. Uh, I really want to see what sort of form he's going to be in. Um, I'm pretty excited to see uh, well just more of the same from some of our stars. I want to you know keep giving me that Julio Rodriguez, pump that right in my vein. That's so much fun to watch. I want to see some of these younger guys, see them kind of get their sea legs a little bit. Vinny Pasquantino looks really looks really good so far. Uh, I want to see more out of him. You know all that. Uh, you know just want to see baseball again.
0: Max Meyer, early impressions of the uh, phenom from uh, Miami.
2: I can't wait to see more of them. I, you know, I've been gone for the last week, so I haven't seen a whole lot of baseball. I can't wait to see more baseball, to be honest with you.
0: There you yeah. go. That's really good. I'm just looking for that. Hey, um, do you think Matt Carpenter can keep this up?
2: Not this up, but he can be productive. He can be helpful.
0: Well, I feel like I'm watching Matt Carpenter from 2010, not 2022.
2: Well, he has bought into the launch angle revolution. I mean, he has bought into that. He was working with Joey Votto in the offseason um and that's that's bearing some fruit. Really happy to is. see that. Happy um, to see guys working hard to improve themselves.
0: I want to mention at rotowire.com. You've got a lot of good feature articles. In fact, uh Jerry uh, Donabedian with the best ball strategy that's up for uh, football fans at rotowire.com. And then as far as baseball goes, Eric Halterman, Jeff with the MLB barometer risers and fallers here at the mid-season break.
2: Yeah, he's been and, and Eric has been working for us the last five years. We just hired him full time. Very happy to see him get some pub. Uh, he's doing a great job for us. Last week, he, I had him on our podcast. We were talking a little bit about the fantasy all stars and how you know who is, who's deserves a claim for like. What they did, especially according to cost, there. So a lot of cool stuff from uh, Eric the last couple of weeks.
0: I can hear in the background you just got home. It sounds like the family's ready to see you. So get off the phone with us. Go enjoy the fam, and we'll look forward right. to talking to you in a couple of weeks. Sounds great, thank you, Steve. All right, uh, Jeff Erickson, folks uh, from Rotowire your one stop shop for all fantasy sports. I said couple of weeks, I mean next Wednesday is when we're planning on getting Jeff back. Not a couple of weeks, so my apologies, Jeff. We'll get uh, we'll get Jeff back next week. Hey, we are twenty minutes away from talking Shohei Otani with author Jeff Fletcher. That's coming up. Sports talk continues right here. Six hundred ESPN El Paso, forty eight past the hour. As sports talk continues. that's our telephone number to get into the program, 505-6009, as we make our way through the first two into the 6 o'clock hour. Saw a story earlier today about 6 to 12 schools wanting into the Mountain West, who suddenly is starting to think about expansion. What a surprise. Mountain West has been holding off for a long time about expansion. Now, all of a sudden, they're considering it. You tweeted this out earlier today and talked about how UTEP should be knocking on the door. I would be shocked, shocked if UTEP is not one of those 6-12 to schools that were included in the original tweet today.
1: I, I UTEP will never admit this, right? Like UTEP, no, would,
0: they're not going to say go on the record and say no. Uh, you know.
1: But like, e- e- they wouldn't even suggest that they're interested and open into other realignment things, or or just maybe you know exploring other options in other leagues. I, I don't think they would ever publicly come out and say that because UTEP is probably still understanding that they still need to boost themselves up as an athletic department all True. across the
0: board. True,
1: yeah, they don't want to ruin anything with Mountain West. This is like. If there is an op- if there's an invitation to certain schools out there, UTEP wants to do this the best way possible, put together the best resume they can, and try to get to the Mountain West. Because would you want to be in conference, you would say, in the next five years, just
0: knowing how coll- college athletics
1: shifts all the time now?
0: No, I mean I, I wouldn't. But you know, UTEP they've never shown their hand. They're not gonna they're they're not like some schools that are gonna go out and go on a record and say, hey yeah, we're exploring a new conference. We want to get out of conference USA. It's not that's not their style. I mean they don't need to. We know we know what they're like. We know what they want. There's but they're not gonna go out and advertise it the way all these other schools have done in the past. Remember, a lot of the schools that wanted out of Conference USA are now out of Conference USA. Schools that said they want to go, Um, they're gone. They got their wish. So that's not the way UTEP plays it. UTEP plays it closer to the vest. And uh, to them, they're not going to suddenly, uh, even if they do want out, let the entire college world know they want out. Let's leave it at that.
1: No, they, they definitely don't want to show their hand. And also knowing that New Mexico State's coming into Conference USA. That's I, right. you got to look at your your rivals, especially close rivals and stuff like that. And uh, everybody's trying to one-up each other in all a group of five.
0: That's a great point. Great point. Nine in front of six. Let's go to John. He joins us next on the show. Hey, John, what's going on? Hey guys, it's been a while. It has been, John. How are you?
4: Doing good. Just been busy with work.
0: So good for you, man.
4: I haven't been able to call, but uh, I know this is old news. But Steve, you hit on it. Um, I know it's been what about a month since the shocking news, at least for me, that uh, USC and was it UCLA are going to the Big Ten. Yep. Um, I'm still kind of shocked about that one, but I said it what was it, last year, I believe, when all this was coming down. Um, If we're just going to do this realignment all over the country, just put all the P5 conferences together, make a national championship, and all the others who are not, who are mid-majors or lower P5, like, oh, I don't know, Indiana, they suck. Okay, let's be real about it. They are not a football power at all. Um, Just take them and give them a national championship and have the have and the have-nots.
0: John, here's what's going to happen, okay? I think. I I think that based on the ACC uh, meeting today and how the commissioner of the ACC is trying now to make a plea to keep everything together, I think he sees the writing on the wall. And he realizes that forget the fact that it's all the Power Fives. It's going to be the SEC, the Big Ten, and everybody else. That's the story right now that they might just have the two major conferences separate themselves from everybody else and, and, and do it this way. So it could be just that, I mean, ACC is trying right now to explain to everybody that uh, they, they want to stay in the, they want to stay in the talk. And I don't know if that's going to happen.
4: I, I don't know, Steve, honestly, I'm surprised the ACC is even being left out of this. I know it's for the money and for football. But look at the schools that are in the ACC. Yep, you got North Carolina, Duke, Syracuse. I mean, those are in basketball anyway. Those are the three big ones for me. No, I'm with so you. What, so, so what do you what are you gonna tell them? Like
0: well, I mean,
4: what? Okay, you're not gonna be in a conference. You got to be joking, right? Just imagine in college basketball not having North Carolina, Duke, and Syracuse in any major conference in America.
0: Yeah. No, I'm here. Listen, I'm I'm with you on this. I just don't know right now. I seem to feel like it's going to be Big Ten, SEC. Then the next group will probably be Big Twelve and ACC, and maybe whatever's left of the Pac Ten. And uh, then below that, they will be there'll be like three or four tiers. It's just Adrian. I think it's going to be a tiered system. Yeah, I think tiers is probably the right way.
1: You're you're probably going to have the bottom tier, which is your current group of five, your middle tier, which is your step below power five, and then all the bi- the big dogs out of power five, like your Georgia's, Alabama's, SEC, Big Ten, and all that.
0: I know, but we could see ultimately some of the power fives in the different tiers. We might see the top yeah. tier, and then the bottom, and then the middle tier or the bottom tier, and then the group of fives below that.
1: Yeah, I could definitely see that. There is a a big-time step down with some of these current affiliates in these conferences. I mean, we just listed a bunch of them. You can look at Vanderbilt in the SEC and even Kentucky football in the SEC, so we could definitely
0: see that. Yeah, we'll see what happens. John, good job, man. Way to appreciate you uh, giving uh, us a call. Good to catch up with you. Jeff Fletcher's next. We'll talk Shohei Otani as Sports Talk continues. Welcome back, everybody. He's Adrian Broaddus. I'm Steve Kaplow. It's good to have you as we uh, take you up till 7 o'clock. No baseball today uh, anywhere. Uh, Minor leagues are off. Uh, Chihuahuas resume on Friday. Major League Baseball gets back tomorrow, but it doesn't mean we can't talk a little baseball right now. Specifically, Shohei Otani and the new book Showtime the inside story of Shohei Otani and the greatest baseball season ever played we've got Jeff Fletcher with us right now who is the Angels beat writer for SoCal News Group and uh, has authored this book first off Jeff uh, we appreciate you joining us during the all-star break and, and congratulations on the new book
5: thank you very much thanks for having me
0: So, um, i got to ask you, Jeff, how long have you been thinking about about writing this? Was it pretty much since the Angels landed Otani and and brought him in?
5: Well, I did start writing a book in uh, April of 2018 when he first splashed onto the big leagues, and it was pretty clear that he was doing things that nobody had ever done or nobody had done in 100 years. And then in June of that year, he got hurt and couldn't pitch anymore, so Project got kind of tabled and it uh, remained tabled all the way till 2021 when he finally came back and was healthy and was really successful as a pitcher and hitter again. And then uh, it got uh, revived when he had like a, an incredible season.
0: By the way, I got to tell you um, the one thing I will say about books you never can predict what's going to happen. So you get Joe Madden to write the foreword of this book. Who knew that by the time it gets published, he's not managing the team anymore?
5: Yeah, that was uh, unfortunate, but uh, you know what happens.
0: We, uh, you know,
5: certainly there was a lot of risk with all kinds of things when you write a book. You hope Showa stays healthy and performs well, and. So far, at least that has happened.
0: That's true. Now, I'm wondering, as somebody who covers the Angels on a day-to-day basis, and you've been around Otani now for the last you know, four years plus, um, what's that like for you in terms of just your access to him? And did you get uh, pretty much better access as you were writing the book and he knew this was going to be coming out?
5: Well, our access to Otani, uh, all the writers who cover the team, pretty much get to talk to him when he pitches, and then occasionally uh, some other times in between. Uh, He did know I was working on this book the entire time, and he uh, was okay with it, but uh, he didn't really contribute much beyond all the interviews that I'd done with him just in my daily life. But uh, as you can see when you read the book, there's still plenty of his voice in there uh, throughout. It's just you know, as he was describing things as he went along.
0: Well, I think it's perfect because since you've had that access to him, um, you know, over the years, and you've gotten to know him a little bit, um, you would be able to acquire, you know, I guess include a lot of those anecdotes uh, in this book. And and the truth is, Jeff, we haven't seen anybody like this in a hundred years. There's been some good hitting pitchers, but nothing like this. I mean, I think of like just from my era, Mike Hampton was somebody that. I really enjoyed watching him swing the bat because he could swing the bat. But nothing uh, like this since Ruth. And to be honest, since Ruth played 100 years ago uh, before integration and before guys were coming out throwing 103 miles an hour like they are today, uh, it's really fascinating to see what Otani is able to do and how well he's been able to translate his gifts from Japan here to the bigs.
5: Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I think a lot of things uh, with Babe Ruth that people don't really understand is that he really didn't want to be a two-way player. He was a pitcher, and then he realized he could be a good hitter, and he just wanted to hit. And he kind of had some fights with the Red Sox about them wanting him to still pitch. And so he only really pitched about half the time in those two years where he was hitting. And then they sold him to the Yankees, and all of a sudden he never pitched again, basically so mm-hmm. it's it's a much different story of, uh, of Babe Ruth being a two-way player as Joey Otani.
0: Well, I think the reason that uh, the Red Sox wanted Ruth to pitch is he was great. I mean, he won in World Series, he was dominant, wasn't overpowering, but he would, you know, in those days it's so different too. I mean, guys, when when they started a game, they were expected to finish, so pretty much every time Ruth went in the, on the mound like most players in those days, you had complete games and you know guys would pitch 9, 10, 11 innings depending on how long it is. So the game is Totally changed compared to what it is uh, today. Yet Otani is, without a question, the closest thing we've seen to Ruth uh, in modern days, and um, it's so much fun to watch him because he's really he, he's a show when he's on the mound, and he's a bigger show when he's at the plate.
5: Yeah, absolutely. He's he's doing uh, pretty incredible things, and I think he's as a pitcher, he's probably better. Uh, you know he's more consistent, and he's he's definitely one of the top pitchers in all of baseball right now. As a hitter, he's just you know very good. He, he ranges between good and very good, but he's not really like at the same elite level as a hitter as he is as a pitcher.
0: That's very true. Uh, Jeff Fletcher uh, again joining us uh, here on Sports Talk. The name of the book: Showtime, the Inside Story of Shohei Otani and the Greatest Baseball Season Ever Played. Now you realize when you say that. And when you say the greatest baseball season ever played, people are immediately going to say, "No, no, no. Come on. There's there's been better seasons." But from a two-way standpoint, it's nothing like we've ever really seen. So, it makes sense when you include the pitching dominance and the hitting that uh truly nobody has come anywhere close to this, Ruth included.
5: Yeah, I mean, that's why I think it is the greatest season ever played, and it's because, you know, nobody has attempted to do this before and You know, he's not the best pitcher in baseball. He's not the best hitter in baseball. But he's the only one in 100 years who could even be in the conversation for both of those things at the same time. And that is just a really amazing thing.
1: Before this really uh, you know great season from Otani, uh, you heard uh, that Otani had spent that specific offseason really overhauling himself. What went through his offseason workout ahead of 2021, which uh, ended up being uh, you know the one of the best seasons we've seen from, uh, from any player recently.
5: Yeah, well, you have to go back to 2020, which was, by his own definition, a pathetic season. He got hurt. Uh, when he tried to pitch again, and he was pretty bad as a hitter to where the point that he got benched. So in the winter between 2020 and 2021, he went up to Driveline in Seattle, you know, the kind of high-tech baseball factory we've all heard of, and they did a lot of work with him as far as refining his mechanics and optimizing, you know, the way he moved and doing a lot of measurements about his fatigue levels because he really needed some some hard evidence to uh, to know, like, what levels he could push himself to safely and uh, when he needed a break. And so once he kind of knew how hard he could push himself, that really allowed him to kind of maximize his workouts and maximi- maximize fitness. And uh, all of that just really came together uh, when the season started.
0: And you mentioned something that's also really interesting, and that is the big league game is so different than the Japanese game. What he was able to do in Japan when he dominated the sport for so many years before he came over, he probably came to to the bigs and realized he can't do the same routines, the same things, and expect to have the same results.
5: Yeah, I mean, his first spring training – Uh, he was pretty bad, actually, in 2018, and he had to make some adjustments. The swing didn't really work against Major League Velocity and Major League Breaking Pitches, so he had to get rid of the leg kick that he had in Japan, and he pretty much did that in one day where they just said, hey, how about you stop with the leg kick? And he said, okay, let's try. And and that's the thing that in itself is pretty amazing to to other players, that he was able to do that. And pitching-wise, he needed to really learn how to – improve his control, and uh, use some different pitches. He started throwing a cutter, which is something he hadn't really done, and that helped him get some more quick outs to, to help his with his pitch count. And he's improved his slider a lot as he's gone along. So, you know, he came over with just a huge fastball and a splitter, and now he's got the huge fastball, a really good splitter, a really good slider, and a cutter. And all that stuff makes him just really hard to hit.
0: Jeff Fletcher with us here on Sports Talk as we continue talking uh, the legend that is uh, Shohei Ohtani. By the way, uh, just watching yesterday's All-Star Game at Dodger Stadium, the TV broadcast, listening to players, they love them. I mean, you talk to guys, uh, forget just on the Angels, people all over the game on you know both American and National League. They say nothing but incredible things about Otani, And I think that players, even the best players in the game, marvel at what he's able to do.
5: Yeah, I mean, that's really the best way to appreciate him is to talk to other players about him because they know better than any of us how hard it is to compete at the major league level and do both things because, you know, especially any pitcher, you know, a lot of them have stepped into the box occasionally, you know, know, before there was the DH, and they know how hard that is. And to be able to do that, you know, at a high level, they are just floored by it. And certainly the hitters who can't even begin to attempt a pitch realize how hard it is to do what he's doing.
1: Since his rookie season, uh the, the um, you know, the Angels have restricted his usage at times, the quote unquote Otani rules. How has this progressed since his rookie season?
5: Yeah, he uh he really they kind of got rid of all that going into twenty twenty one because the plan was that it was going to keep him strong and healthy, and it really didn't do either. He still got injured. So they got to 2021 after this you know, disappointing 2020 season, and they just said, look, we're just going to get rid of all the rules. You're going to play as much as you say you can play, and uh, we're going to trust that if you do need a break, you're going to let us know. But otherwise, you're going to be in there every day as a DH. You're going to pitch once a week, and you're going to hit while you're pitching. And uh, as long as all that works for you, then – go for it. And that's what happened and he really felt freed up by all that to just be what he wanted to be as a baseball player and it showed in his performance.
0: Jeff, you've been covering baseball now 25 years and as you, you know, put this book together and and it gets uh, and it gets published and released this month, what are you most proud about uh, about the book? Did you think really baseball fans uh, and and Shohei fans for that matter are really going to enjoy when they have a chance to read it?
5: I think it's just his whole journey that a lot of people, they heard about him when he was in Japan, and then they saw a glimpse of it in 2018, and then, you know, it sort of went away, and I think a lot of people kind of forgot what he could do, and then all of a sudden in 2021, he came back, and it was this incredible thing, and I think that a lot of people don't know the whole story of the roller coaster that he went on to get back to what he did in 2021, and I hope that that's what people get out of this book.
0: Now, uh, what's also interesting to me um, about the whole Otani story is if you look at Japanese baseball players uh, here in the bigs over the years, uh, Ichiro, prior to Otani, was by far and away the most successful Japanese ball player. Hideki Matsui had a really good run, too, but it seems to me like the hitters coming over from Japan have often produced better than some of the pitchers have adeki nomo had a, um you know had uh, you know i look at nomo's career, probably one of the best. But then you think about uh, Daisuke K Matsuzaka and the injuries he dealt with, and then we also had um, you know Masahiro Tanaka. It's tough sometimes. Just because you dominate in Japan doesn't mean it's a guarantee that you're going to come here to the states and perform uh, like you did over there. Uh, you know against big leaguers.
5: Yes, yeah, certainly. Uh, most of the players who come from Japan don't fare uh, that well over here. Uh, there's there's a few exceptions. I would say there's probably been slightly more pitchers that actually end up being good major leaguers than hitters. Uh, I think it's you know if you're a pitcher you you still your stuff can translate either way, but if you're a hitter, you really can only be judged by the pitching that you're facing. So I think that's why a lot of times you see pitcher uh hitters that come over here and they're they're not really as good and and you sort of forget that they were even there, so their careers kind of come and go quickly.
0: In your mind, uh, do you think that uh, records in Japan should count uh, when you look at the greatness? Let's just say we're talking 10 years from now and uh, a guy like um, Otani is getting ready to wrap up his career considering how prolific he was in Japan. Is it is it t- difficult sometimes to just discount those numbers and not um, apply those towards his whole body of work?
5: I mean, I don't think you can count them straight up one for one, but you certainly have to take them into account. You know, uh, each row, uh people did make a big deal about the, when the, he had more hits between Japan and the major leagues than Pete Rose. That was a big moment that people kind of made note of, but still his official baseball statistics in the major leagues have him with fewer hits. So, you know, I think it's worth noting and uh, kind of adjusting for, but I don't think you can... Uh, Totally count them as if they're major league
0: stats. Jeff, how does Shohei handle the media? Because I know just by going to spring training and watching games in Arizona that there are so many members of the Japanese media that when they have a ball player like Otani, they follow them around everywhere. I was in San Diego at Peoria watching the Padres and just seeing the attention you Darvish was able to get. And you has been around a long time, but all the media that was following him from Japan, it's probably been like that nonstop since Otani arrived.
5: Yeah, he's got about fifty members of the Japanese media that follow him pretty much all the time, and he's just gotten used to it. He he knows that they're there. They don't really seem to bother him. They're very respectful about not you know getting in the way of any of his work that he needs to do. He uh, talks to them occasionally, but uh, it's uh, it's something that he just seems to be uh, second nature to him now.
0: Has Shohei read your book? Do you know yet if he's had a chance to go through it?
5: Um, He's got it. Uh, I don't believe that he's read it yet. His agent read it, so I'm sure that uh, if there was anything that they objected to, I would have heard about
0: it. And I'm sure that when Shohei's done, he'll probably pull you aside and uh, tell you, nice job on the book. I I enjoyed it. I hope so. I hope so, too. By the way, how's your – have you learned uh, – have you been picking up any uh, Japanese uh, since he arrived, or has he done a pretty good job of now being able to, to speak uh, fluent enough English where he can communicate to all you guys?
5: Uh, he does not really – he speaks English well enough to, like, have conversations with his teammates, uh, but he doesn't really do any interviews in English. But he does have a few words. He has some kind of casual conversations with the, with the reporters as he walks through the clubhouse sometimes in English. And uh, I have learned a few Japanese words, and uh, actually since the book came out, I've learned to sign my name in Japanese.
0: Oh, that's very cool. I love that. All right. Nice. Um, Final question, Jeff. When this book comes out in paperback, because chances are it will come out in paperback, will Shohei Otani still be a member of the Angels?
5: Um. That's a good question. Uh, That's I mean, why I, I asked you, Jeff. You're the
0: like you, been, you know you're you're covering them on a day-to-day basis. You've been doing this for 25 years. i got to at least throw one tough question at you by the end of the interview, Jeff.
5: All right. Well, I think he's going to be with the Angels through the end of the 23 season. So my paperback could beat that. We'll see. But then after the 23 season, uh, who knows? I think it's just really going to depend on how much money the Angels want to give him and how much they can convince him that the team is going to win. I think that... They certainly have a chance on both counts, but uh, it's not a slam dunk on either one.
0: I hope it happens. I'll be honest with you. I, I know Otani's been there five years, but then I think about a guy like Trout, who's been there now from for uh, for ten, and he's so good. And it's a shame that you know he has never really had an opportunity to play deep into the postseason yet, given the skill set that he has. Otani has. You just you know you, you want to see the superstars have their opportunity to to play postseason ball, and and I'm hoping that happens uh, to the Angels here uh, at least before na- the end of next season.
5: You are not alone. Definitely lots of people around baseball would really like to see the Angels uh, finally have a good team.
0: Awesome. Listen, we appreciate you, Jeff. Thanks for the time. Thanks for joining us. And uh, once again, folks, the name of the book: Showtime, the Inside Story of Shohei Otani and the Greatest Baseball Season Ever Played. He's Jeff Fletcher and joins us, covers the Angels for SoCal News Group, and uh, with us here on Sports Talk. You can follow him on Twitter at Jeff Fletcher O C R. That's at Jeff Fletcher O C R on Twitter. Really appreciate it, Jeff. Thanks again.
2: All right, thanks for having me. You got it.
0: We'll come back with Charlie One and plenty more. Sports Talk continues. 600 ESPN El Paso. Sports Talk. Um, This note from El Paso Electric, uh, very important. With high temperatures on the rise, we would like to remind our customers El Paso Electric is ready for the summer. At EP Electric, we have additional crews and resources available to restore power as quickly and safely as possible in case of an outage. During the summer, increased demand, overloaded equipment, and thunderstorms can cause outages. However, rest assured, our dedicated power restoration team and repair crews are on call 24-7, ready to handle any issue anywhere. You can read more on their website, epelectric.com. So... Uh, Yeah, there are power outages. That's uh, something that we kind of know that that happens. But all I can tell you is, um, you know, it's uh, the good news is you probably will be back having power uh, as soon as possible. That's for sure. So at least we don't have to deal with rolling blackouts. I was going to say,
1: at least we're West Texas, not in the East Texas part.
0: Yeah, you're not kidding. Oh, no, no. We've had rolling blackouts here on uh, in El Paso. Wasn't that long ago. Probably, uh, I don't know, eight, uh, ten years ago.
1: Okay, okay. Yeah, you were, I don't remember. Uh,
0: you were a little younger then, but it, uh, we remember. Okay. We, we remember very well. <laughs> so sometimes the rolling blackouts were supposed to last just, uh, you know, an hour or two, and they ended up lasting four or five. And you're like, oh, my God, can you please put the power on before the uh, meat spoils and everything in the fridge and freezer is bad? But luckily, the good news is it would happen. We're, we were okay.
1: Oh, man. I, I don't remember that. But, uh, yeah, hopefully, well, at least we're, we're here in West Texas. That's all we have to thank, uh, you know, our blessings for.
0: That's very true. Uh, enjoyed Jeff on talking about uh, Shohei Otani. So interesting that there are fifty members of the Japanese media that have been with him for the last five years.
1: That blew me away. I think that there's probably a ton. I, he's probably like. Uh... He's probably like an enigma when you actually see him in person because mm-hmm. he's such a polarizing player. Uh, all Like we talked about, all the other players on other teams love him in kind of a weird way and have a lot of admiration and respect for him. Uh, he just seems like such a polarizing figure in this league, and it, it's he's just getting started, which is just yeah. the crazy thing about it.
0: I know. I mean, well... I know we say he's just getting started in the in he's the older. bigs he is. Yeah. But yeah, he he played in Japan. So it's not like he, you know, was, was 19, 20 years old when he came here, but he's still so young, and you kind of wonder, you know, he's got so many good years left of him. I just I'm so interested to see. Here's the thing, though, okay? So Jeff said 2023. He thinks Shohei will play her through 2023. As soon as the Angels see what the Nationals get for Juan Soto, it's very possible that they start to explore trades for Otani.
1: That's sad, but it's true. It's the harsh reality behind all of this, whether it's Otani or if it's Mike Trout. And maybe it's the players who lead this conversation to the front office of the Angels. They rely on these two guys, and they just can't really get other players around them. And, uh, you know, I, I look at Shohei Ohtani, he, it, it, I hate to say this, but he looks perfect in pinstripes. He'd be a, a, somebody who would uh, excel if he went just uh, down the city in in Los Angeles and join the Dodgers. Goes for one of these, uh, you know, high market type of teams right there. That is probably very enticing for somebody like him. Um, however, if the Angels can map out a good blueprint to try to have some success in the near future, maybe that would convince uh, Shohei Otani to stay. It,
0: along with Mike Trout. Uh, I'm with you on that one. And by the way, you know, um, the earliest two free agency for Otani is 2024. He signed through 22. His earliest arbitration-eligible season is 2023. So that is also going to be interesting. In case you're wondering, by the way, how much money is Shohei Otani making this year? $5.5 million. Oh!
1: Oh man! No way! Now no he's 20, way!
0: Now he's 27 years of age, okay? But you know, and and the Angels haven't given Otani that massive contract extension yet. So, um, and you know, they're paying Rendon a ton of money. They're paying Trout a ton of money. So they're probably trying to use uh, as much as much discount as they can before they maybe unload Otani. Um, you got to figure that somebody is going to want him, offer the Angels a ton, and then pay Otani once they get him.
1: Well, now I don't feel too bad. I did a quick dig on his endorsements. Last year he led a Major League Baseball with $6 million in endorsement deals, uh, headlined by Fanatics. Guess how much uh, how much money he has in endorsements this year, Steve, as of right total now. Total or yeah. just from Fanatics? Uh, just, just total this season specifically.
0: Uh, I'll go 20 million.
1: You're exactly right. Tripled to 20 million, exactly. So, 20, 2022, uh, Shohei Otani has tripled his earnings and still leads the Major League Baseball with $20 million. All
0: right, so he's doing just fine. So, let's not feel too sorry for uh, Shohei Ohtani. You're right.
1: Ohtani. <laughs> yeah, right. We, we're good. He's good.
0: Yeah, I think so too. Uh, bottom of the hour, let's get one last Sports Center update in, then we will come back with our final 30 minutes with you all here on 600 ESPN El Paso. Thank you very much. So, Jimmy G now has permission to seek a trade from the San Francisco 49ers. This is a really interesting story. So um, Garoppolo's agents have permission to seek a trade, but apparently teams are not willing to seriously consider any trade until Garoppolo's shoulder Fully heals. Now, ESPN said he's clear to start practicing with the Niners, who report to training camp on Tuesday. Let me repeat that right there. The 49ers report to training camp in six days. Football is here, ladies and gentlemen. The miners are starting training camp in July because they play their first game in August. I think the crazy thing right now is, Adrian, as much as we are in the dog days of summer, with 105-degree temps, monsoon rain, and, um, you know, baseball, baseball, baseball. Hey, football's here now. We've got training camp starting next week, um, and, and I think people are going to start talking more and more football. But let's get back to Garoppolo for a second. He can train with the 49ers. You have to wonder, though, um, you know, who will take him on, especially if the shoulder has not fully healed yet.
1: Yeah, there are a lot of interesting candidates. First off, I'm so happy that football is almost here. Two weeks from tomorrow, it's the Hall of Fame game. Wow. Yeah, that that's crazy to think. Um, the Raiders started training camp already. Uh, I'll give you three quick teams who I could I could see Jimmy G being traded to. Number one, the Giants, the New York Giants. They don't have a quarterback. Daniel, if you want to tell me Danny Dimes are going to run it back this year and try to be competitive, I'm laughing because that my only thing for the New York Giants is who are they going to take in the first round of next year's draft in the top Ten, which they'll probably be in that position again. Uh, another team, Chicago. Uh, you need a backup still for Justin Fields. Last year, he he uh, did an admirable job, but they did not do a good job of surrounding him with good weapons over there with the Bears. I would like to see Chicago trying to be aggressive and getting a veteran, um, you know, to try to mentor uh, Justin Fields as he continues in his development and, and maybe make it just a one-year deal for Jimmy G. And my last team, it's the most obvious one. It's staring us. It's staring us right in the face, the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Deshaun Watson, this looming uh, suspension. People are talking about a year for Deshaun Watson. Even if he gets the year, they're saying that Deshaun Watson will try to fight that and try to sue the NFL with the NFLPA. Um, however, I don't see him winning that, and I, I do see, um, at least from the reports we're getting so far, I could see Deshaun Watson being suspended for a year and Cleveland being desperate enough to trade for Jimmy D- G.
0: Well, first off, they have the money to trade for him. That's that's important. They are the only team in the NFL currently that has the cap room to take on the full salary, okay? Believe it or not, the Browns have $49 million in cap space. I don't know How? They have $49 million in cap space, but they do, so they could easily uh, go ahead and take on Jimmy G. Now, chances are they won't do anything until the Deshaun Watson suspension comes down, so they know completely what they're dealing with, but I could absolutely see that. Now, um, the Seahawks also make sense from a quarterback standpoint. The problem is they don't have the current cap room to take on the contract, so they would probably have to rework a deal with Garoppolo in order to fit him in. But if anybody knows Jimmy G, it's Seattle. They have played in the same division
1: but that asking price might be way more than, you know, Cleveland Browns True. trying to trade for Jimmy G. You don't know, you don't see too many interdivision trades like that, especially when it's a quarterback and for Seattle, I don't I have no clue what they're doing. I have zero clue because if they tell if they're telling everybody that Drew Locke is the answer, I, I would say that that's really not the case and they're probably looking at somebody else. Maybe it is Jimmy G when it's all said and done.
0: Well, the NFC East makes interdivision trades all the time with quarterbacks. They True. They, they don't they don't seem to worry about that at all. So maybe Maybe uh, the 49ers and Seahawks can follow suit and do the same thing there with with Garoppolo.
1: Yeah, that asking price will be steep. Um, I I will say right now the the best-case scenario for uh, the 49ers is waiting, holding on to Jimmy G as long as you can so you can show to all the teams out there, He's healthy. He's recovered from that shoulder surgery that he experienced back in March. And because he elected to get uh, shoulder surgery that late into uh, this year, it's really hurt their trade chances for Jimmy G. And for Jimmy G's side, he wants to find the right destination for him. He's not trying to be a backup
0: at this point. Not to mention, even though they've decided Trey Lance is going to be the starting quarterback in San Francisco, how do we know he gets healthy through training camp? How do we know he plays well enough in the exhibition games to warrant that? We don't know for sure. And you're one hit away from suddenly being in, uh, in, in a bad spot. So I agree with you. Hold him as long as you can, number one. If he's healthy, that increases his value. Quarterbacks get hurt all the time. You need a good insurance policy that could work out, including San Francisco, because if there's one thing you know about Jimmy Garoppolo, you know what he's capable of as a starter in San Fran. You still don't know what Trey Lance can do. He he threw for five touchdowns, two interceptions, 600 yards last season in limited games. You really don't know for sure if Trey Lance, at this stage of his development, is ready to take the 49ers into the postseason.
1: It's so interesting. I'd love to hear from more Niner fans because the Niner fans that I heard from already had had been the same ones right before last year ended, that they were Jimmy G fans, they were happy with him, and then the way that they bounced out of the playoffs, losing against the Rams, the way that they did where Jimmy G had a chance to lead his team down the field and win the game and go to the Super Bowl people were kind of out. They were out on Jimmy G as kind of that leader for the team. So it's kind of interesting how things change. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo helps the 49ers beat the Cowboys to advance further in the playoffs, and then he falls in that game against the Rams, and everybody's kind of out on him and already ready to jump on the Trey Lance bandwagon. But we haven't really seen him. We we saw him in special packages on Wildcat offenses, which, yeah, if you want to argue Kyle Shanahan's a run-based coach anyways, I I could see that. But at the same point, Steve, I— I got to see it before I actually believe it with I'm Trey with it. Lance.
0: Well, we're going to talk so much football these next couple of weeks. You lucky, lucky folks. You're going to get a lot of football in, more than you can handle. In fact, when we get all this NFL talk cranking, we definitely want the phone lines to explode at 505-6009 here on Sports Talk. 505 When we come back, final countdown. Do you have any idea what it costs, an average, To take a family of four to a Major League Baseball game, we'll uh, wrap it up and tell you that. So stay with us. You might be surprised by what you hear. It's 600 ESPN El Paso. Everybody, Adrian's movie review. Uh, we're saving the best for last today. Uh, brought to you uh, in part each and every day by Alamo Drafthouse. Adrian, uh, how far back in time are we going to go today?
1: We're going to go back to the '80s, out in Los Angeles, and some kind of wonderful. This one takes place with Keith, who is a high school student. He he's a blue-collar guy. His dad wants him to go to college. He's friends with this girl named Watts, who's considered a tomboy by some people. Uh, Keith is obsessed with the most popular girl in all of the high school, who's named Amanda. And Amanda's dating a rich boy who's just a jerk. His name is Hardy. Well, Amanda ends up breaking up with Hardy, and Keith seizes an opportunity and asks her out. Well... He, um, you know, Keith is really uh, a person who wants to wow Amanda because she's a rich girl. She's somebody who's a popular girl, and he wants to show up for her. So he empties his own college savings or whatever kind of college fund he has and buys her earrings, gets her ready for a date, and, uh, and, and, you know, gets ready for the prom. Meanwhile, Watts, remember Keith's friend, she's bummed out because she starts to have feelings for Keith. Well, Keith ends up going to this uh, party after the prom, after the date, uh, and it takes place at Hardy's house. So Hardy was planning to actually beat up Keith at this event. Turns out Hardy kind of folds in this whole situation. You kind of feel like he's a pathetic uh, loser at the end. And Amanda sits down with Keith and convinces him that uh, Keith actually loves Watts. So Keith goes back to Watts. They fall in love. They He gives her the earrings at the end. Amanda returns the earrings back to Keith. He gives those to Watts, and uh, they live happily ever after. I've got some uh, some good facts about this one, some really interesting things. Michael J. Fox was asked to be Keith. He declined. He said he didn't want to. Um, this one felt kind of like a ripoff of Pretty and Pink, to be honest with you, Steve. I found some other things that I I found real interesting. The car that Watts drives in the movie is a dilapidated Mini Cooper, which was modified Mm. for America. Between 1960 and 1967, only 10,000 were sold in the U.S. at the time, and then they were completely discontinued. We know that they're popular now, but they uh, they were very much unknown to the American public in the 80s, so that car really stood out in the film. There are three main characters in this film that have names relating to the Rolling Stones, which I played earlier today. Amanda Jones, which is named after a song with the same name, uh, which is also played in the film, a drummer called Watts, which is Charlie Watts, and then a character called Keith, of course, Keith Richard. So uh, those are some things right there. One other thing that I found very interesting, Eric Stoltz, who played um, Keith in this film, two years before this movie was filmed, Eric Stoltz was the original choice to play Marty McFly in Back to the Future. Ah. He had shot five weeks' worth of footage, and then he was replaced by Michael J. Fox. He was fired, Steve. They didn't like him.
0: ah, that's good that, that's good storyline right there.
1: Four out of ten bananas for me. Uh, this one was very plain, and like I said, I thought it was a ripoff of pretty and pink. even say pretty similar ending and everything
0: mm, that's uh, so four out of ten bananas yeah hey, um you've watched the office, right? yeah. You know Melora Harden, who plays Jan Levinson? Yeah, yeah. She was opposite Stoltz in the Back to the Future movie. And what ended up happening was when they brought on Michael J. Fox, Harden was so much taller than her, she was fired also, and they had to replace her because they couldn't have a girl so much taller than Michael J., so they had to get rid of the whole cast.
1: Wow. Well, you know what? I'm so happy that she stuck around for The Office because uh, I liked Mm. how she was taller than uh, Steve Carell in in that series. Yeah, that's
0: true. true and the funny thing is is they replaced her with uh leah thompson so there you go
1: there you go from this film yeah
0: exactly right so i like it a lot of interesting storylines there
1: okay i got it back to the future stuff all right all
0: right we don't have a lot of time we're gonna probably do more of this tomorrow on the show but um average cost for a family to go to a baseball game we'll deep dive into the specifics about this tomorrow but believe it or not adrian $204.76. That's the average cost of a family of four to go to a baseball game, which includes four tickets, four hot dogs, actually, four hot dogs, two beers, two sodas, and parking
1: man i this is such a cool list i got a chance to dive into this there are so i have so many thoughts on this list and uh all i could tell you is, steve we got to make a trip out to miami because it seems like the marlins are pretty affordable
0: uh n- even more affordable is the diamondbacks that's the that's the most affordable team in baseball and phoenix is only a six hour drive from here
1: you're trusting those two dollar hot dogs
0: there are other things you know I'm you know what i'm <laughs> trusting i'm trusting the 4.99 beers
1: yeah, yeah, I'm down with that or you you look over to the Angels $4.50 for beers over there.
0: You're a good point, though, about the $2 hot dogs. We'll have to dive into that one a little bit more on the show tomorrow. But, yes, $204, the average price for a family of four to attend a Major League Baseball game. But that's the average price, meaning there are some teams that are much lower, some teams much higher. It's going to be a fun segment for us to talk about on the show tomorrow.
1: Yeah, it also makes you appreciate El Paso Chihuahua's family packs
0: that they have, you know, throughout the season. Absolutely right. Plus, we've got some other special guests. If you're watching, the captain... We're going to bring the director of the whole project on the show tomorrow. He'll join us via Zoom at 5 o'clock. Excited about having Randy join us tomorrow. So stay tuned. Going to be a lot of fun. ESPN Radio's up next. Have a great night, everybody.